Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness and action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us today via Zoom is James Grout. What's up, James? Good morning. Good to see you guys. Good to hear your voices. Thanks for joining us, man. It's been so long since we've all been together. Yes. It's been days. Days. It's been days since we've seen each other face to face. So we were all together out in... Carlsbad, just outside of San Diego, at a little gathering for mission leaders that Uncharted and the organization that you're with, James, called One Child, which we'll hear more about in a moment, uh, co-sponsor. So we were all together in this beautiful location, and this leads perfectly. Emily is going to give a little bit more of an explanation and plug later about Outpost. But as we were all together, you picked us up at the airport, James. And as soon as we got in, blasting throughout the vehicle was you two. So this is this is a, a lead in to my question for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. James, partial answer we already know. Yeah. Tell us favorite band and like coolest moment that you've had with well, that band. Okay. So um Favorite band is uh, actually probably not you two. Oh my it. gosh! What? This is completely changing everything about our relationship, but, James. But I'll answer. I'll answer the question as if it is you two. So I, my favorite <laughs> band, is actually another Irish band called Snow Patrol. Okay. And um, and Snow Patrol opened for you uh, two on the 360 tour. I don't remember what year that was. I saw it five times i saw that two or five times <laughs> in three different countries <laughs> so, um uh but i but uh they were opening for you two at soldier field in chicago so snow patrol is the opening act and we got stuck in traffic and i and i was like i can't believe this is the only time i've ever seen snow patrol live i can't believe we're gonna miss it <laughs> And so I jumped out of the cab. We were in a taxi cab. <laughs> I jumped out of the cab and I'm running down Michigan Avenue trying to get to trying to get to Soldier Field so that I can actually hear the band play. And I ran all the way like I like I, I didn't even care who was with me. I just kept running, like looking for my seats. I just wanted to be in the stadium. And I could hear them playing like like they had already started. And most opening acts, you know, they get like four or five songs yeah. on that tour. And they were already done with two songs by the time I got into Soldier Field. And I still had to find, you know, like run all the way around to get to my seat. <laughs> and uh, I got there and, I, and as they were closing, uh, I got to see the last two songs. So I missed three, okay. probably three or four songs. I don't remember how many they actually played because I wasn't in there. But uh, <laughs> I got to see the last two songs and the final song just blew the place up. Like, That's like, awesome. Like unlike any opening act uh, I've ever seen, the the crowd went crazy. So that was actually a great experience. And then and then you too, which is the band that I have seen live the most in my life. So then you and I actually, uh, one of my favorite stories was when you and I saw you two also in Chicago that time. Yeah. And we walked across the street because uh, to the entrance to that was at the United Center. And uh, we walked across the street to the entrance to the United Center because we knew that there were a bunch of people waiting for the the boys to arrive and we actually got to meet <laughs> we actually got to meet bono yep and i didn't know you met they, bono yeah yep 
and uh, they were hanging out and signing autographs and sang a couple songs just like really impromptu so it was really fun yeah that was a very cool moment emily how about you well i that is not easy to follow up i've never met bono i i mean you gotta you gotta start you gotta start it high so i guess so (laughs) then just go down from there you gotta beat it that's not gonna happen. Make something up. <laughs> oh, well, ben, Ben, I think that was that was your first U two concert, right? It was, and my only so, up to this point. So Ben's Ben's expectation is if he goes to a U two concert, he's obviously gonna meet Bono every time. Right? Yeah. I like mean, I'm expecting like back in back backpack. What is it called? Back backstage, backstage passes. Yeah. Where you're right from now. your close personal friend Bono. Yes. Man. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, Emily. Yeah, this is should have had you go first. I know. <laughs> this is my my favorite my favorite musician of all time is Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I've only seen him in concert once. And where was that? It was in Muncie, Indiana. Okay, <laughs> so like not a great the booming metropolis, right? It was at Ball State University in their theater. Um, but he has quite a few albums and so i like had zero expectations of like i'm not gonna hear any of my favorite songs at all because like he's got like 50 albums or whatever and he's had a new one coming out and it was like jazzy and weird and it was like okay whatever i just want to go see this person in person yeah um and but in the back of my mind i was like there's just this one song highway 61 revisited is the name of the song is not like a big hit and it was kind of this dumb silly song but it was my favorite whenever i was a kid we like had the cassette tape and this was like what i wanted to go to so i was like okay if i had to pick one it would totally be that one and he's absolutely not gonna do it yeah and like i got there i went to the concert by myself because none of my friends (laughs) like bob dylan who likes bob dylan (laughs) who likes bob who wants to go see him live right yeah um and then like halfway through he likes and it's like a jazz concert and he sounds horrible because he's bob dylan he's 80 (laughs) years old um but i loved it and we get there i get there and it's like halfway through and he's like playing this song and i'm like why does this sound familiar it's like a weird i know this song but it's not and then he started singing it i was like oh my gosh it's highway 61 revisited it was the song that's awesome so Special moment. That was it just was for you. Good. That Somehow. was just for you. I don't know how he yeah. knew, but he knew. He That's knew. What he needed. Yeah. yeah. That's very sweet. So mine, well, James, you, you shared mine. Uh, so that's what I would have said oh. is that, that moment with Bono. But um, I'll share another one. I wouldn't say this is my favorite, but it's definitely one that stuck with me. And this is not my favorite band. But when I lived in New Zealand, when I was 17, 18, um, there's this massive uh, Christian music outdoor festival down there. I don't even, I'm trying to think if I can remember the name. I don't remember the name of it, but you know, one of those where you like camp out for several days, that whole thing. Yeah. And so, and I, I'm not, I'm really not huge into music. Like I enjoy listening to music. I just don't, I don't remember band names and all that sort of stuff. So my standards are pretty low, which is sad, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm hanging out with, people like you guys who have very high quality taste in music. Um, so anyway, so I'm at this, I'm at this festival with some friends and it's like all, you know, Aussie bands, New Zealand bands, and there's like one or two bands from outside, including five iron frenzy. 
And I remember I have this very distinct memory of being in, they were playing one of the main stages that was inside this massive tent. And I had a little American flag with me. (laughs) (laughs) This is so stupid. And so like I wormed my way up towards the front. Uh, towards the front of the stage and I start waving my American flag and I'm like, I'm from America. I'm from America. And half, you know, halfway through, probably just to like shut me up, they finally acknowledged me. They're like, hey, fellow American, come hang out with us backstage. So I did. So after the concert, I got wow. to hang out with them and I don't even remember like what we talked about, but I guess, I guess that's what the American flag gets, gets you. I right? guess access to all these things that's how that's yeah that's that's how we why we act the way we do that's how we operate at uncharted international (laughs) i'm american give that to me (laughs) if you're a church or an individual that wants to get involved in global missions and you should because it's the great commission it can be really hard to know where to start so instead of trying to strike out on their own most churches choose to partner with pre-existing organizations like Uncharted International. We want to help people do missions well and connect the local church with the global church. Partnering with a missions or an international organization can bring a lot of opportunities to a church and help introduce people to kingdom work happening all over the world. But there are good and bad ways a church can enter into a partnership and good and bad consequences that can come from it. On this episode, we're talking to James Grout from One Child and we're asking questions like, Why should a local church look for an international partner? Where should we start when we want to get into missions? And how can we make sure that we're entering into a healthy, fruitful partnership? Awesome. Okay. Well, like we said earlier, we are here with James Grout. And James Grout is many wonderful things uh, to a lot of people. One of the things that I get to claim is he is a lifelong dear friend. Um, So we've known each other. James, we've known each other for... I don't know, like 15-ish years coming up. Um, We've done a lot of ministry background. So prior to the roles that both James and I are in, respectively, we worked for a denomination of churches called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, It's a denomination of about 2,000-ish churches here in the States, but it's got a pretty global, pretty significantly sized global footprint and... James, you were in youth ministry for a long time in uh, an Alliance church, as was I for several years. And that was the context where we first met. We were planning conferences for all the youths of America, not all the youths of America, (laughs) just those that went to an Alliance church. Um, So James and I got to know each other quite well in that context. And then we both ended up out at the national office of the Alliance, which at that time was out in Colorado Springs. So our, I I think we even said, did we even say to each other, I'm only going to take my job. If you take the job you're being offered, it was something like that. I think we like branded each other or something, you know, like we took a blood oath. Well, one of us did. Um, (laughs) The way I remember it was you and I were talking about, because you'd been offered the role, uh, a a director level role at the national office for the, for Envision. And I'd been offered the role for national youth director of the Alliance. And it was, and we were both like thinking about it. We were just like mulling it over. And I said (laughs) to you, if you go, I'll go. And you kind of said the same back to me. And then you were like, 
and I've already said yes. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, oh crap, what have uh, I done? I just basically said yes too. So uh, it, I didn't go just because you went, but uh, that that did weigh I'd into like to it think for so, sure. Though. It, it it definitely weighed into because I like I'm moving to Colorado Springs. If I don't have any friends out there, that's not going to be fun. So, yeah. I know. Um, so so anyway, that was that was actually great. And then we ended up doing a lot of stuff together. Mm -hmm. um, even though we were kind of working in two totally different departments, we found many ways for them to overlap and for us to actually. Uh, for Envision and Alliance Youth to find some some unity, and I think actually I think that 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 relationship still goes on today. Yep. The, the relationship between Alliance Youth and Envision, even though both of us have been gone for quite a few years now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there were some good good years of doing some ministry together there, and then fast forward to today. Uh, both of us around the same time left the Alliance, and uh, you went to an organization called One Child. I went to Uncharted. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about One Child as an organization, but also more personally, like your, how did you get, you know, give us the brief, how did you get connected and why? Like what, what was it about One Child that drew you to it? Well, at first, um, well, so I was a youth pastor, um, as you said earlier. So I was a youth pastor at a church in suburbs of Chicago for 20 years. Christian Missionary Alliance Church, part of the Alliance. And so I'm, I'm licensed, I'm ordained in the Alliance um, still to this day. And um, and when I went to the national office to be the national youth director, it wasn't exactly a dream job. I think for a lot of the youth guys, that would be their dream job. Like, mm -hmm. oh, if I could just be the national youth director, it really was not. It mm -hmm. was, I kind of went um, feeling like I wanted to do some reform, uh, some reformation. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to reform, bring some reform to that role and to that office. And so that's, that's what I went there to do. I was only there a couple of years. Um, and so I, I didn't really get a chance to fully, mm -hmm. uh, see that reformation, but, uh, but took some steps in that, that, that direction. And it was after I left there that I was, I was actually doing a startup, um, by my, by myself well with my brother my brother and i were doing a startup company and and i found out that startup companies uh cost a lot of money but don't make a lot of money so so then i was like well i need a job like i actually have to find a job here at some point uh, so i don't lose my car in my house and um so i started looking and i didn't know what i was looking for like like what's a guy who's done 25 ish years of professional youth ministry qualified to even do like that was in my mind. Uh, so I was just looking for anything that was sort of in the nonprofit sector. And this organization, one child came up and I was, I was intrigued uh, by the job and it was local. It was Colorado Springs. So I wouldn't have to move. And uh, I'd never, uh, I'd never heard of them. I didn't know who they were. I kind of thought I knew what they did because it was like a child sponsorship organization. And I'd, I'd worked uh, directly with Compassion International, sponsoring children for several years, D had even done a trip with uh, with them to meet my sponsored child. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew or thought I knew what child sponsorship was, and I thought I knew what one child was. So I went in and applied for a role that was, uh, it was, I think it was short-term mission coordinator, and I'd done a lot of short-term mission trips uh, over the years. And so I thought, well, I, I could probably do that. Like that would be, that'd be a pretty good fit. And it was, we were like five minutes into the interview and both the, 
vice president who was interviewing me and myself, we both went, no, this is not a good fit. It was like this, it was like this really administrative job. And I was just like, oh, do I have to learn how to use a scanner? Because I don't want to. <laughs> like, that just doesn't sound fun at all. Um, but he said, you know, you'd be, you would be great for this other role that we have here. And I said, oh, I didn't know, like, I didn't see that you were hiring for another role. And he said, we're not. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, thanks for, <laughs> for telling me about this job that I'd be great for that doesn't exist. Um, but he said, he said, let, let me, uh, let me talk to some people and I'll get back to you. And so they, that interview didn't really go well. I, it did like we mm. connected and everything, but it, you know, I didn't get the job obviously. And I didn't want the job. But they called me like even I don't even know like maybe within 24 hours they called and said would you come back in for another interview, mm -hmm. um, and I did and they said we're going to make space even though we're not hiring in that role right now we think you'd be a really good fit for this role and so that's the job that that was six years ago yesterday actually oh, that wow. they hired oh. congratulations yeah thanks um, I don't know uh, what you get for your sixth anniversary but. You get to do a podcast with Uncharted. <laughs> get to do a podcast. <laughs> no, they're actually actually my uh, my boss, my supervisor, sent me a really nice a really nice box with all kinds of like goodies inside of it. And uh, when is that going to be implemented at Uncharted? Yeah, gosh, I need to think. Oh, about never that. mind. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay. So but then I had this problem, which was. Uh, I don't really like children that much. So, <laughs> so I've just been hired by one child. And my job, what they hired me to do is to advocate for children, like to, to be, you know, go out there and try and get people to engage with our programs around the world by sponsoring children. And this didn't and... come up at all in the interview process? <laughs> no, because no, I didn't bring it up because I wanted the job. Right? I, I, decided not, I decided not to tell them. Um, <laughs> And so it was actually uh, uh, like six years ago next week uh, on my birthday, six years ago, I took off on a trip to the Dominican Republic with all these, with these guys that all work for one child. I'd never, I didn't know any of them. It was my first time traveling with any of them. And, and I remember on the flight feeling like this sort of um, personal crisis of, can I do this? Like I, the reason I stayed in youth ministry was so long is because I was so passionate about it and I loved it. And it was a clear calling from a clear and compelling calling from God. And I, was, I just, I was like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to do this. If it's just a job, if it's mm. just a paycheck, I don't want to do it. I need to, I need to be inspired to do this. And I wasn't saying any of that out loud, but I was feeling all <laughs> of it inside. Mm. And I was thinking like, how long can I do this job if I don't really care that much? And I, and I do, I do like children. I don't, I don't hate children. <laughs> um, I have children, so, and I really like them. Um, but it was just that passion for youth ministry. And I just didn't feel that for children's ministry. And still to this day, I actually don't like, I don't feel that kind of passion for, for kids ministry, the way I do for teenagers, like teenagers have my heart. Hmm. If I'm in a room full of teenagers, I'm, I am fully alive and fully engaged. And, um, and if I'm in a room full of children, I'm looking for an exit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not exactly true. So here's what happened. And this was, I think, I think this was a gift from God. We're, we're walking through the slum, one of the slums in the Dominican Republic. And 
it's a rough one. I've been in it several times since as well. It's a really, it's a bad one. One of the worst I've ever been in just the, the level of crime, the level of like the prostitution, the drug dealing, the gangs, the violence, the, the filth, like mm-hmm. just how dirty it is just you know the garbage and everything and it's actually the name of the community um in if you translate it from spanish into english is get out if you can mm-hmm. or 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 maybe no way out uh, one of those two versions is how, sort of how it's translated to english and it's the, the name itself kind of has two to me has two meanings because it's a labyrinth this particular it's there's just house on top of house and alleyways and sidewalks and there's some main streets that go all the way through but everything else is just like it would be it would be very easy to get lost mm-hmm. in there and uh and just and have trouble finding your way out but also it's just a dark dark place for a, a person to grow up for children to grow up and so as we're walking through i'm looking around at the children playing in the streets and it it was like watching children playing in a war zone that's what it felt like to me it was like they should not be here like this is not they were they were out there playing and having fun and what you know doing whatever they were doing but it wasn't safe and and you could almost look at the children and just predict their future like Mm. like this is this is their life this is where they're gonna be they're gonna you know there's all these it was pretty early in the morning, but there were like all these dudes who were like clearly strung out from the night before laying around. And I was like, this is, this is their lot in life. Like this is where these children are going to end up. And we're kind of doing a tour. And then we, and we have a hope center there. One child has a hope center there. That's why we were there was to see the hope center, but they took us to uh, the home of one of the girls who was a part of the hope center. I wish I knew her name. I never, I, I don't remember her name, but, um, they invited us to, she invited us to come into her little, like little two room, um, two room house with her parents. And she was probably 14, 15 years old, something like that, but had been in the program since she was just a little girl. And when I stepped out of the street and into that little home, it was like, it was like there was a change mm. uh, in the atmosphere. That's cool. um, like it was, there was this sense of calm and peace and grace that just rested in this place. And she was so thrilled mm. to have us like there. She And she wanted to tell us about her experience with a sponsor. And mm. she went and got all her letters that her sponsor had written her and brought mm. them out. And um, and she had, she had this huge smile, introduced us to her parents and, you know, was very interactive with us and she had brand new braces on, like mm. she had just gotten them. They're like still sparkly, <laughs> you know, that sparkly silver braces. And, and, uh, so we were talking to her and one of the pastors who was with us just said, what, um, you know, what are your dreams? Mm. Which is a risky question to ask a kid who lives in extreme poverty, mm. because for some, I've asked, I've asked some kids that in the Philippines, I asked four teenagers at one time and the one, they all looked at each other and laughed Mm. and then looked back at me. And the one just did a drinking motion, like with like Uh a bottle. Mm. And they said, these are, this is it. This is what we're going to do. Like, we don't have dreams. So don't ask kind Mm. of thing. So they asked this little girl and somebody asked her that. And she immediately said, I want to be a dentist. And I'm guessing she spent some time in a dentist chair, getting those braces put on and, <laughs> and kind of liked that experience. And, but it was, um, it was the confidence with which she said it, like not, I hope to be a dentist, uh, someday, maybe I could be a dentist. She really, she meant it. She said, I'm, I'm going to be a dentist. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's my, that's my pathway. And, and then our visit was over and we stepped back out, 
of that house and back into the war zone. And I remember at that moment, right as we stepped out of there, I, I remember saying to God, okay, if the product of our children's, our child development program is a teenager like that, mm-hmm. then I can advocate for children all day long for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything for me as far as, as far as how I see my job. Like that's what we're doing. We're producing that kind of person who even in a really horrible place has hope and dreams and self-confidence and knows that they're valued and loved and um, all the things that most children living in extreme poverty situations just don't have, but they do when they have, when they get to be a part of a program like ours. So that's, that's, I don't remember if there was a question that started all of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, answering the question, how Mm -hmm. you got uh, connected to one child and, and, and also, um, a really good illustration of, I mean, I, I realize there's more to it, but a, a really good illustration of what's at the heart of the organization of One Child and, and what you guys set out to do. And I'm sure that will come back up uh, over the next several minutes of talking. So uh, in the context of One Child, your role, uh, I'll, I'll do a sort of a simplified summary of it. Your role is with a team of people, you connect with local churches predominantly here in the States, in the U S and you're trying to connect them to, uh, what God is doing through and with one child in the different parts of the world where you guys work. And your slogan, one child slogan is hope in hard places, which I love that. I mean, that's very much similar verbiage and, and heartbeat of, of uncharted. Um, so hope in hard places and you, you spend a lot of time traveling some internationally, but a lot domestically, where you're connecting with churches and you're trying to gain those partnerships with churches um, connected to your hope centers around the world through one child. So that's, that's kind of what we want to talk about um, for the rest of our time here. Cause that's a very similar, you know, though we um, have different global missions, there's a lot of alignment between uncharted and one child. And that's one of the pieces of alignment is are focused on partnerships with churches. How do we see God's people engaged with and activated towards God's mission in a variety of ways? Um, so through your experience as uh, in that role, and, and feel free to, to talk more about that role as you answer some of these questions. Um, yeah. Just talk a little bit about church partnerships and and Emily, this, you know, that we'll start to include the three of us in this conversation as well in terms of um what is it about partner partnerships with churches that's important to to both of our organizations you know on the one child side on the uncharted side is it just we need churches to write us checks we need people in those churches to send money or is there something more that makes partnerships significant and important you guys put a lot of resources in developing partnerships with churches we're starting to put more and more resource resources into the same thing why is that? Why is it important to us? So James, we'll start with you on the one child side. What is it when we talk about church partnerships, what is that? And and why is it important? Then Emily, you, you and I can add some thoughts as well. Well, we use the word partnership uh, in a couple of different contexts. So uh, we, we call our churches, our global churches, our international churches around the world that we work with, we call those partners. But my job is to... Uh, my my title is is 
national engagement lead. So engaging churches, engaging people, that's my job. And, and we call the model that we're doing the church partnership model. So our desire is to find local churches here in the U.S. Um, and partner them, connect them to local churches around the world. And the idea there is, uh, it's it's like you were just saying, like we don't we don't just want a bunch of people to sponsor kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do we do want people to sponsor kids. That's sponsorship is um, kind of the engine that drives development in in some ways. Um, but uh, that's not our goal is just to get a bunch of kids sponsored. Our goal is to create true lasting long-term partnerships. And it just so happens that child sponsorship is a really, is a fairly easy way to begin engaging in that kind of a, in that kind of a relationship in that kind of a, a overseas partnership. And when you do it together as a church, uh, then you're also doing something that builds community within your community. Mm-hmm. So not only are you connecting to a church somewhere else in the world, but if, uh, for example, if if a local church, say in in uh, Portland, Oregon, which is close to where I live here, um, if, if a local church in Portland, Oregon, everyone who's in that church sponsors a child and all the children that they sponsor come from the same community, in El Salvador, we're not in El Salvador, but <laughs> Honduras, you know, Honduras or somewhere like that. Um, it, if they all sponsor children from that same community, now there's not just this sponsor to child relationship, but there's this church to church relationship and it can become a pastor to pastor, community to community. Um, sometimes we even, uh, we've been able to find a way to get pastors who have other friends who are pastors and they sort of together do like a cluster of churches in another place around the world. And so we actually begin to create um, a real, a real partnership, a, a dynamic, <clears throat> a dynamic where it isn't us doing stuff for them. Uh, it's us and them doing stuff together. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, Actually, I think it's Bono who says there is no them. There's only us. <laughs> I think he says that. Um, and so, so making that connection between two churches that's uh, that's huge for the local church context here, the local church context there, and for the longevity longevity of that relationship. Mm-hmm. The more people in your community <clears throat> who are engaged in that community, the more. Uh, buy-in you have, the more uh, skin you have in the game and you, and you want to stay uh, as connected as possible. So, so I think, I think, and, and then the other thing I would say about it is I, I kind of alluded to it already, but child sponsorship is a fairly easy step for a person to take. And they can go from having no care at all about global missions uh, or God's heart for the lost around the world to having an immediate relationship with a really important soul somewhere in the world and an impact on a family and impact on a community they can go from they can go from uh, from that to that in one in one action which is sponsoring a child so it is a way for for an individual or a family to engage uh, in god's work around the world um and it's a baby step uh, mm-hmm. i i call child sponsorship a gateway drug to um 
to generosity and to missions and to, cause it's a fairly easy first step. First one's free. It's not true. They mean, they <laughs> not true. But, um, but it's a fairly easy first step. But once people begin to engage that way, they, they become more generous yeah. because they understand how it works and they become more um, aware. Mm. Uh, someone told me the other day, that they were talking about their sponsored child living in the Philippines. And now they say, every time I hear news mm -hmm. about whatever in the Philippines, an election or a typhoon or whatever it is, they're tuned in because yeah. they now, they, they have that they personal have connection. That, yeah. They have yep. a connection there and they, someone that they care about and pray about. So, so that's uh that's engagement. Um, that's kind of our church partnership model. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's good. Yeah. So Emily, I'd be curious to hear from your perspective. Um, although you have not gotten a cool gift box from right. our staff for now the that many I know that's years an option that you've I'm worked a with on Charter, gosh, I feel bad. Uh, you yeah. have been with us for a while and I know Uncharted's been on this journey of really elevating this whole aspect of partnership. Um, from, from, the position you sit, um, which you kind of have a unique perspective, right? Like you kind of have your hands in and aware of everything because you are, you do a lot of the comms, all the comms. Um, what, what are things that you've picked up on in terms of why partnership is important and some of the dynamics of it? Um, what it looks like, what's been good about it, what hasn't been, what's changed at Uncharted with that? Mm -hmm. These are like seven questions. Bro. You can, you can, you don't have to answer all of them. I'm just kind of giving you a menu of options. Great. Yes. I love options. Um, I, I'd say that our philosophy of church partnership is really similar to you guys at yeah. one child. Um, our, our point as uncharted is not to fund international projects. Um, and I, so I think the past year or so, probably longer is we've, like internally come to different distinctions of like, do we want church support or do we mm -hmm. want church engagement mm -hmm. and partnership? Because if we, if we just need support, if we just need people to write checks and we send it and empower people in Myanmar and Serbia and overseas to just like run with these projects that they're doing that, I mean, we could do that and it, it wouldn't be bad right? Uh, in a, in a way. Yeah. Um, but the point of Uncharted is not just, it's not a fundraising organization. Yeah. It's, there's a lot more emphasis on um, this two-way conduit, which mm -hmm. is like a phrase that has been said a lot around here <laughs> of how Uncharted exists to br bring the local church and the global church yeah. together. Um, it's not just, we have something other people need and we'll send it to them. Yeah. And you're welcome for that. Um, it's, is kind of like what you were saying is like, we're all engaging in God's mission. Um, and so this is a way we want to do that together. Um, so a church in Evansville, Indiana is working alongside a church in mm -hmm. Belgrade, Serbia. They're not um, paying them mm -hmm. and they're not just aware of them, but they're actually in partnership, mm -hmm. accomplishing mm -hmm. the same thing, yeah. working towards the great commission, uh, like next to each other. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's been, it's been a shift internally for our thinking. I think over, overall, we would have said, this is what we want. Mm -hmm. Um, and then now that 
uh, Jeremy Locke is on our staff as engagement director. He's really taking a lot of these relationships um, and spending a lot of time elevating them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not just about we need to we need to keep giving our churches information mm-hmm. and we need to stories. But it's like, no, you're involved in this yeah. as much as somebody as a church planner in Myanmar. Yeah. Um, and so kind of kind of similarly to what you're saying about how when you start with a personal connection to like a child in Honduras or a specific church planner in Myanmar, it becomes a lot more personal and maybe even doesn't look that different from the outside. Like, yeah, they still send checks Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a lot of, a lot of church partnership is financial support, Mm -hmm. but it does something different internally. Mm -hmm. It changes your perspective and your compassion. Uh, when you see people as, a partner or a, a peer, mm-hmm. a coworker, mm-hmm. as opposed to like a, a person, just a recipient or a transaction. Yeah. yeah a recipient. Yep. I was, um, some of the things you just said, Emily, remind me again, all three of us were just at this gathering called outpost. And, um, one of the things that was said by our, our keynote speaker, Matthew Phillip, um, that he was talking about partnerships and he said, what are strengths that you have that we need? In other words, shifting partnerships that are based off of strengths and not just needs. Um, in other, like we, you know, uh, sometimes when we hear the word partnership, our mind automatically reverts to, oh, okay, you just like, what, what do you need from me? That's, that's what, you know, that's what you think of. But it's verse, but shifting that to like, no, what are the strengths that you have? What are the strengths that I have? And acknowledging, yes, like it is that two-way conduit. Um, And it's one of the things that, you know, we love is helping churches here in the States realize there's, there are strengths that are, that the local church in Serbia or the local church in Myanmar or the local church in the Philippines or wherever it might be, there are strengths that they have that we need. And that's, that's what partnership looks like, you know, is acknowledging acknowledging that both parties in this partnership bring strength to the table that both parties need. Um, yeah. And I would say that's pretty revolutionary. Uh, just to say that it sounds pretty simple, but, but it's a, it's a complete mindset change mm-hmm. from what, um, from, from what our view of, again, us and them, Yeah. Mm-hmm. like every, every time I, we actually don't, we have short-term trips that we do. And we call them discovery trips. We don't call them short-term mission trips. We call them discovery trips. And the language is important there, I think, because, I mean, you know, people are still going to call it a mission trip no matter what, because it's just such a, <laughs> a term, right, that no everyone knows. But but we refer to them as discovery trips because we really want people to go in as learners, not as experts. Mm-hmm. Like, don't go in as the... Don't go in as the Westerner who knows how to do it and has the more efficient way to get things done and um, has, you know, the resources to get things done. Go in as a learner, go in there and look at what they're doing. Like, see, you can see the the dreams and the hopes and the dignity that people have yeah. and, um, and you can learn from them. I mean, that one of the, and I'm guilty of this, by the way, I, I'm what I'm about to uh, accuse people of, I'm, I've been very <laughs> guilty of. Uh, one of the worst things we can do is go in and start looking for things to fix, like look around and go, Oh, we could fix that right now. What's like, what would it cost to do that? 200 bucks. Oh, we take up an offering with the team we have right here and fix that for 200 bucks. Let's do it. Um, it's one of the worst things 
that that we could do because it takes away their first of all it might not be what they actually need mm -hmm. just because we think they need it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it's actually what they need and then the other thing is it takes away their their opportunity to own whatever that thing is like mm -hmm. to be engaged in if there is something that needs to be fixed or something that needs to be purchased or something that needs to be built or whatever if we just go in and do stuff for people they don't value it they don't own it mm -hmm. and and then that's just you know that's just um another it's like another form of colonialism almost yeah. mm -hmm. we'll come in yeah. and tell you we'll come in and tell you what you need and we'll actually pay for it and we'll do it <laughs> uh, and then we'll leave <laughs> and um, let you deal with all the fallout yeah exactly or yeah. let you just let you know like, that's one of the problems with building certain kinds of building programs is that the people don't have buy-in and ownership right they don't keep them up right. like they don't there's no maintenance right. there's no um yeah there's there's a lot of stories like that so so that's i think one of the main uh, in my opinion that's one of the main things that we that we want to help people do mm -hmm. is begin to see the begin to see the dignity of people mm -hmm. even if they live in extreme poverty they have vision they have dreams the holy spirit empowers them they mm -hmm. are you know they they are um they're part of the same kingdom and and uh, god you know god has plans for their lives so so with that, James, that's a, those are some really cool descriptions of what you hope to see. Do you have any, um, quote unquote success stories, or do you have any examples of what that's looked like real time? Whether you, I mean, whether you can specifically say a, a, a name of a church or not, you know, or you can just share with us in generality, what it, what does a good partnership look like in your experience there at One Child? Yeah. Well, first thing I would say is partnerships, um, good ones, especially they take, they take a long time. Mm. Like the, the pathway to become a partner. I mean, it doesn't always take a long time. Sometimes it can be a little shorter, but, but my job is to build relationships with pastors, get to know them and uh, start to engage with, start to engage with them about engaging with an, uh, a location somewhere else in the world. And that can be a long pathway that could, that could take four years. It has, I've got mm -hmm. some examples of, you know, four years into the friendship, into the relationship. It's sort of at the point where, okay, let's, let's do this thing. I think mm -hmm. it's time. And for whatever reason, um, it's not always like that. Sometimes it's like, I meet somebody and they're like, that's what you do. I want to do that. Let's yeah. do that. How, you know, are you free next Sunday? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, I am, but, um, so, but, but here's a couple of examples. There's, there's a church in, uh, in Colorado, and they've been engaged for quite a few years. I can't, I don't know exactly. It was even before I came to one child. So it's, it's over six years. Mm -hmm. It's like seven or eight years. They've been engaged with a, with a particular uh, church in Honduras, uh, Hope Center in Honduras. Uh, our Hope Center, that um, just for, for understanding, we call our child development centers, we call them Hope Centers. That's where children go. That's where the program is sort of run, but they're all connected to a local church or, or a school. So uh, when I say Hope Center, I, I kind of use that term to mean the church and, and the child development yeah. center. Mm -hmm. Um, so they've been connected to this particular Hope Center for years and years, and they've, uh, they've gone deep in investment there. And when it comes to the number of children that they sponsor, like they never, they never want any children in that community to be unsponsored. If they can sponsor them all, they're going to get them all sponsored. 
And then they've also done uh, quite a few trips there over the years. And they've helped to finance the pastor's vision, the mm -hmm. pastor who lives there. Uh, he has this, he had this massive vision. It's why this church partnered with him when they first met him. He had this massive vision to build something amazing, to create something that would be um, sustainable for their community and would impact not just the children who come to the program, but would impact the whole community. This mm -hmm. would be like a, this would be the center where people would come to, uh, you know, to learn skills or to have fellowship or to play soccer or, uh, you know, use a computer lab, all those things. And so his vision and this church's desire to engage with somebody with that kind of big vision uh, turned into, uh, I mean, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing location it built entirely on uh, what used to be the city dump. Oh, so wow. the land, the land that this pastor bought for this vision that he had was the city dump wow. and, uh, and built this entire uh, this entire, his vision is, it's still, it's, it's ongoing. It's still, his vision has not uh, reached its apex yet. He's, he wants to impact even more communities. So, um, and that church has been there step-by-step step with them along the way. They're not the only church engaged there. There are some others that are engaged there, but they have been um, maybe the most engaged partner. And so much so that they brought the pastor uh, to Colorado and, and brought him, you know, gave him, he gave a message to their people, um, mm. um, so that they would, the, the people, even those who don't get to go on the trips would get to know this That's pastor, cool. which is really, cool. and then the other example I would give you is a church in Florida and, uh, it's a smaller church than that one in Colorado. It's not small, but it's smaller. And, and but they are so bought into their partnership in the Dominican Republic and the church that they're partnered with down there, mm -hmm. and they love. I've never even been to this Hope Center that they where they partner, um, but they love them so much. Like they love the pastor and they love the pastor's vision. And when I hear their the pastor of this church in Florida, when I hear him talk to his people, this this is how invested they are in what they're doing. He says um, he. First of all, he introduces, like he he tells them about the sponsored child that he and his wife sponsor and tells the whole story of meeting her for the first time and just how how beautiful and kind of heart-wrenching that was for them. It was just really a, an amazing moment. But then he says, to, he says to his church, he said, if you go to this church, these three things are true of you. Uh, you give, you serve, and you sponsor a child, something like that. Uh -huh. Like that's his thing. So you know, when a pastor says something like that, that shows you the level of commitment that yeah. they have to that partnership. Like this is what it means to be us. This is, they are us. We are, you know, that's our partner church down there. And, and then he says, after they said, and if you don't um, agree with those three things, there are a lot of other really good churches in the area <laughs> <laughs> and kind of tongue in cheek, but also sort of not really. Right. So, no, that's um, and they're, and they are bought in. Like they, you know, they're like, what, what more can we do? Mm -hmm. Um, how, how can we be more engaged? How mm -hmm. do we, uh, you know, they have a really significant, uh, footprint presence in that, in that community, this mm -hmm. church from Florida goes down there and they really have an impact. So that's a couple of really good, I think there are a couple of really good examples of partners who go deep and stay there for a long time and value the partner that they're working with. What you said at the end there, that second example, um, you, you listed just like a few questions that 
that partner church is is asking. And that's been something that I've been thinking about more recently is I, I think an indicator of whether a partnership is healthy or not um, is what are the types of questions that are being asked. And, um, you know, some indicators of maybe unhealthy partnership would be if a lot of the questions only circle around things like resources and sort of that, what do you need for me type of thing? You know, like the Aladdin genie in the bottle, like, what do you need? Poof. What do you need? Like if that's, if that's what the questions feel like, probably an indicator of not the healthiest of partnership, but conversely, some of the questions that can be asked in a, in a healthy partnership can be really exciting and really fun. You know, like the types of questions that say, what can we do together? What can, what is God, like, what is, what are we dreaming up together that God is laying on our heart? What is it? What's the vision that, that you have that we can, how can we come alongside and just support what God's already doing through and with you guys? Um, you hear me use this phrase a lot, but like, what's the kingdom mischief that we can cause together? You know, like those are, those are fun questions that I think come from and reflect a healthy partnership where there's that sense of like camaraderie, right? There's that sense of like, we're pioneering into some sort of territory together and it's not one of us leading the way and the other following or supporting it's shoulder to shoulder. Those are the types of questions that I think reflect some really good partnership. So, yeah. Like what can we do uh, together that we would not be able to do if we didn't do it together? Like that's um, you know, the, the value that we bring to one another is really important. I think. Yeah, that's good. All right. So just for a a few brief minutes, conversely, like we've already touched on some of this, but what is, what are some unhealthy elements of partnership look like? Um, Emily, I don't, I don't know if you, if you've come starkly face to face with what that's looked like and we can kick it over to James, uh, first, but I'd be curious to know that. Um, so James in the one child area, any, any broad strokes of what yeah. unhealthy has looked like? Yeah, it, it's it's probably not so much unhealthy as it is. I mean, there are some unhealthy things. I kind of mentioned them earlier. Like if we go into a country or into a scenario and we start looking around, pointing out all the stuff that they're doing wrong, like, yeah. like you guys clearly don't know how to mix cement. That's not how you do it. You know, it's like... <laughs> They they probably know how to mix cement. They've been doing <laughs> they've been doing it for a long time. Even the mindset of uh, I I take a shot at this. If I ever find out who this youth group is, I'll I'll feel horrible. But <laughs> there was a church, there was a church going on a trip to El Salvador, and I happened to be leading a team to El Salvador, and they had matching T-shirts. My team did not, but their T-shirts said on them, "We're taking Jesus to El Salvador," and I thought I'm pretty sure that the country is named after him so, <laughs> I, this may not be this may not be the first time they're going to hear about jesus so but the, but kind of that mentality of um like we're going to do this thing we're going to we're going to go in there and we're going to fix all the problems and we're going to be there for five days but we're going to fix all the problems <laughs> and that country is going to be a much better place after we leave and the truth is you can go in, have a huge impact and the, and the people can be impacted for, for years, 
but not by going in and telling them everything that they're doing that wrong or doing things for them that they can do for themselves and all of that. So, so th there is some of that. And, and then for us, because we are, our model is child sponsorship along with this church. That's mm -hmm. part of That's kind of how we launch a church partnership is through child sponsorship. Um, when people believe that that a sponsorship event is the end of the relationship, mm -hmm. that's, that's the problem is, mm -hmm. and that happens quite a bit where they're just like, okay, we, we did our sponsorship thing. Now we, you know, we all, we all have sponsored kids and, um, and then that's kind of where it ends. They, maybe they take one trip, but they didn't, it was hard and they didn't like it or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, and so they don't, they don't go back anymore. That's, that's not what we're looking for. And I get it that, that they've, um, churches that don't have sort of a philosophy of mission or a missiology there, they will call child sponsorship, their missions program. This is our missions program. Mm -hmm. And it could be that mm -hmm. like those two churches I described earlier, like those two churches, right. we are one of their key partners. Like one child is one of their key partners in that place, that location where they're partnered in mm -hmm. uh, Honduras or Dominican Republic. That's, that's one of their locations. Like they own that. So it can be that for a church, but when, but when a pastor or a leader or leaders think, you know, well, we've sponsored kids. And so that's our global impact. And it leave and leave it at that. Uh, it's that that to me is it's just kind of a sad scenario because those those kids the the people in the church are not going to be as engaged as they could be, and those kids probably won't keep their sponsors for very long because if they're not engaged, they you know eventually go. Why are we sponsoring this kid again? Or mm -hmm. their credit card expires and they don't bother to renew it <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So. It's like it's like they're just if 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 there's no vision for the long term mission, um, that can be a that can be a problem for uh, the partnership model. Yeah. 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 So I I'm curious, Emily, if there's been any like specific examples or scenarios you can think of, or even just some of the things that James just described, more like philosophically, if you've seen that, I mean, maybe in the world of Uncharted, or even just in global missions as a whole. I know we've talked a lot about here at Uncharted, like what are some of the quote unquote sins of the past when it comes to global missions that we need to acknowledge. And I think this category encapsulates a, a, a large number of those sins, if you will, or mistakes. So anything you would contribute or add to that in terms of what you've seen? And um, In general, I think I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I interact with partners that in good terms all the yeah. time <laughs> so I'm just giving <laughs> yeah. them stuff that they ask for usually yeah. um but yeah. I think I think one thing that um I've seen a lot in general is when when people are getting a little too hung up on the what like what specifically are the things we're doing and not the bigger mission mm. um and there can be a lot of like if we're doing a program and then realizing like maybe this isn't the healthiest way to engage mm -hmm. in this community. And so we change it and, and people are kind of a little bit like, Oh, but I really liked mm -hmm. the way we did it before mm -hmm. and unwilling to grow or let go mm -hmm. or learn. Um, and, and in a lot of ways it's not always bad. Um, but whenever it comes at the, the expense of like, okay, but we do need to change. Mm -hmm. There are things that we didn't do very well. Yeah. 
um, like holding on to those things because they're heartwarming or sentimental yeah. or they because feel good. it's how yeah. it's how I got involved. And yeah. so this is where my heart is. Yeah. Um, it's easy to lose focus of like the bigger picture or the ultimate mission yeah. um, and get caught up in like, but this is what I like doing. Yeah. <laughs> but the beautiful thing there, I would say is th- that they are, they are so connected to that, mm-hmm. how they got connected that, that it hurts when you change something, you know, there's, so I think there needs to be like some, you, you do need to allow people to mourn when you change something like that, because it, it was something that meant something very dear to them, but you've got their hearts, right? Mm-hmm. You've already got their hearts. And if you can walk them through that kind of grieving process and mm-hmm. walk them through that, um, that sense of loss, then you're going to have even stronger advocates on the other side of it. Hopefully that would be true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a, such an interesting tension where it's on the one hand, you know, what's the motivation for why a person is engaging with a particular program or mission or strategy or something like that. And it can start off in a really healthy, good place. And then kind of to your point, Emily, you wake up one day and realize like, I'm doing this cause it feels, it makes me feel good, you know? Um, mm. And that's not all bad, but if that's the ultimate, like if that's, uh, if that's what's driving or preventing things from changing, um, yeah, that, that is a, but then to your point, James, like their heart is in it, you know? So how do you, how do you walk a person through that tension? That's, that, and I think that that's what can make, again, a partnership good is when there's, um, a spirit of openness and honesty in that dialogue and, and sort of like a softness to what is it that I need to be learning and adapting and growing in and things of that nature. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, so as we, as we start to land the plane here a little bit, couple, maybe two, two different questions for, for conclusion. Um, one would be, maybe two different questions, one for each, for a different audience. Um, one would be, what advice would you give James to a pastor of a church or a missions pastor, um, who's looking into like, I want, I really want to get my church more engaged and especially in global context, international context. Um, what would be some advice that you would give to them as they take first steps towards that type of partnership? That's the first question. I would say uh, go deep, not wide, uh, when it comes to partners. And uh, so pastors have so many options. Like there's so many people that um, approach them that want to, you know, get them engaged with their global mm-hmm. program, wherever it is, whatever it is. Um, just in the child development world alone there are so many organizations like ours Um, and not all of them are like ours but we all get lumped into one right category right everybody's like that one exactly everybody thinks they know what child sponsorship is like i did i thought i knew before Mm -hmm. i came to one child and i didn't i i that's one of the um Here's one of the best kept secrets. I'm getting off topic here, but here we go. Here's one of the, the one of the best kept secrets about child development, about child sponsorship, is it's preventative in nature. Mm. So there's a ton of rescue ministries out there rescuing kids who've been sold into slavery or into sex trafficking and that kind of stuff. And those those ministries are really important mm-hmm. and very necessary. 
Um, but wouldn't it be better um, if we were doing more things, and we are doing more things, uh, to prevent the scenario where a family has to sell one of their children in order to feed the other children. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of things that, that our programs do. They prevent those things. And we, and we're involved in rescue ministry as well. We have a home in the Philippines for girls who've been rescued out of sex uh, trade and uh, it's important and it's great. It's actually one of the, it's uh, I've been there a couple of different times and it's, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Mm -hmm. Um, to see the the healing that can happen in those places, but how much better uh, for those kids who don't have to go through the trauma that ends up requiring that kind of that kind of long term. All right, so now I've completely forgotten the first question. So, um, <laughs> advice you give to pastors, and you were talking about go yes. deeper, not wider, which is right. kind of what the your your guys's model allows for. Right. Yeah. So, so that's exactly what I'm saying. Like we have this church partnership model. We really want you to engage and go deeply there. We don't want you to, we don't want you to just have like, Oh, I want to do a trip to Kenya at some point, maybe do a safari. So mm -hmm. why don't we sponsor kids in Kenya? Um, we, we want you to have your heart broken for the people of Kenya. Mm -hmm. And because of your, because your heart's broken there, uh, you feel a, a, a bond there an engagement there that, that you've never felt before. And, uh, and then you'll be, you know, you'll be all in. And the reason I say wider or deeper and not wider is because you could say yes to 10 different organizations yeah. and mm -hmm. you could just look at your missions budget and you could go, we have, you know, we have a hundred thousand dollars in our missions budget or $10,000 in our missions budget. Everybody gets 10%. We're going to go with 10 different organizations. They all get 10%. We're just going to write the check or whatever. Um, I honestly, I feel like you're ripping, you're mm -hmm. ripping your people off. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're, you're not financially ripping them off, but you're actually, you're ripping them off and not giving them the opportunity to be truly engaged with the places and the people where the money is going. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what people want. Like people don't want to give to a missions fund and, and then never know what happens with right. that money mm -hmm. or never know a person who's impacted by that fund. They, that's why child sponsorship I think is so appealing. Again, it's a gateway drug to generosity. It's people are like, it's a real child. There's a real relationship. Yeah. I can actually know this child, hear their story. And when I'll say this too, this just happened yesterday. When someone loses their sponsored child, cause the child gets pulled out of the program by their family or something happens, they move away. Um, sometimes families will pull them out and put them back to put them to work in the, you know, picking the garbage dump or whatever. When that happens, that should be heartbreaking mm -hmm. for a person, you know, that, that they've, they've like, Oh, I was so invested in this kid. Mm -hmm. And we, my, one of my friends was like, we, my two boys pray for th these two boys ever for this little boy every day, every night before they go to bed, they pray for him. Like he's like, he lives in their house. Mm -hmm. And then when they lost that sponsored child, because the child's family moved out of the, out of the city and had to move to another place for a job transfer or just to get a job. Um, he was, they were heartbroken. Mm -hmm. Like they wept over yeah. it and they, you know, we provide them with another child in that same community where that child was, but it, they, they were like, yeah, they were like, I'm struggling with that. Mm -hmm. We've been praying for this kid. And so that's what I, I mean, I, I hate that that happened, but that's the kind of, mm -hmm buy-in the deep buy-in that you get when you when you go deep in a in a location and in a partnership 
as opposed to let's just spread it out all over the place. So that's good. Long answer. Sorry. No, that's good. That's a good, a good framework for, I think churches to work through is what are organizations and partnerships or local churches in international settings where I feel like we can go really deep in these relationships. Yeah, yeah that's good. And, and I think I, just to finish that up, I think a pastor and a leader has to be able to say no to some people. Right. Like mm. you have to be able to say, no, we're, we've committed to these, whatever, three partners and that's where we're going. And I like you. Yep. I've had, I've had pastors say this to me, you know, I like, I like you and I like what one child's doing, but we, but we're not going to do it. And I, I totally respect yeah, that. Same. Like yep. I, I would love to partner with that church and maybe some day down the road I get to, because they, they really know mm -hmm. what they want and what they're going to do. And they're not going to say yes to everything. And they're not going to kind of water it down by mm -hmm. having so many, so many different things that no one even really knows that it's hard to have accountability too mm -hmm. when you do that mm -hmm. when you That's have right. so many partners yeah. and so many missionaries and so many like how do you even know what everybody's doing how do yeah. you keep track mm -hmm. of them so fewer is better deeper is uh, a, a deeper longer term connection is much better i think it's good so that's that's looking at this audience of mission leaders mission pastors at local churches how about for just the, the everyday listener of a podcast like this, talking about partnership, talking about this connection between either local churches here in the States and organizations like One Child and Uncharted, or local churches here in the States and other churches in places like the Philippines and Serbia, so on and so forth. Why does that matter? To, to, to the listener? Like, why does this conversation about partnership and how to do, how to do those well and be healthy in partnership, why does that matter to the everyday listener, quote unquote, or is this, or is this episode just for mission pastors? <laughs> for mission pastors only. <laughs> yes. Which I don't think it is. No. Um, Emily, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of like, if you're putting yourself in the shoes of the listener listening in on this conversation, why does it matter? Um, I think my answer would be really broad and pretty brief and just be like a hand that's cut off from the body is dead. Mm. Um, and like the body of Christ is not just me and my church getting along with people there. Mm. And it's not just the church of America, but the global church. Mm -hmm. And if you're not connected um, to that, then you're, you're missing out part of the yeah. body. Um, and it's to your own detriment mm. too. It's not just, you're not denying them the use of a hand, mm. you know, you're, you're cutting yourself off from mm. a lot. You're denying yourself too. Yeah. That's, that came across very intense. No, that's, well, I mean, <laughs> so that's my answer very would be <laughs> befitting, befitting language. It's very intense. Anytime a limb is being, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think in that same vein, maybe you've even used this language in other episodes, Emily, but the idea that there really is no like local versus global church. Like it's, it's all local. Like the, the church in Serbia is a local church, right. And the, um, so on and so forth and our connectivity to each other. And we see, I mean, we see this played out in the book of Acts. We see this in the way that Paul talks about churches. He talked, you know, the way he talks about one church in a particular 
part of the world to another church in his in his letters it's all very interconnected right it's um it's not meant to be this like mysterious far off part of the body of christ that i don't really understand or get or or care about frankly um it's all meant to be very interconnected and and just like in individual relationships there can be really unhealthy ways there can we why do we talk about things like unhealthy dependent codependencies and enmeshment and you know those are things we're working through in our own personal lives and relationships so of course we should be talking about those same concepts when it comes to partnerships between local churches local bodies of believers whether they are a local church five miles apart from each other or 5,000 miles apart from each other. Um, James, you and I use a lot of the same language when it comes to, you know, as a follower of Jesus, the question is not, am I part of God's mission? I am. We are. You right. are. The question is, right. how how aware of that am I? How much am I shaped by that? And what type of contribution am I making to it? <clears throat> and so yeah. a conversation like this helps shape what does a, a healthy contribution to partnership and relationship look like? Yeah. Yeah. We used to use the double negative. You cannot not be a missionary. Like <laughs> yeah. if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot not be on mission Yeah, because that's, that's our calling. Uh, that's what following Jesus is. Um, but I, I wanted to say, so, so when I was a youth pastor, I, as I think about the individual who's listening, potentially listening to this, wondering like, what, what does this have to do with them in particular? When I was a youth pastor, I was in the suburbs of Chicago, pretty wealthy suburb of Chicago. And the teenagers there, um, they literally called it the Wheaton bubble. Like it was, <laughs> you know, Wheaton, Illinois, and they called it the Wheaton bubble. And I grew up sort of in the suburbs too, like a uh, pretty wealthy suburb, suburban area. I was, I was a pastor's kid. I was probably the poorest kid in the suburb, but <laughs> um, we didn't call them suburbs in Canada. I think we called them subdivisions. So I was, but I grew up there. So I got it. Like I, I thought this is life when I looked around, <laughs> like, this is it. This is what life is. This is where, and one of my students in Wheaton actually said, she actually said these words to me. I can't imagine ever leaving Wheaton because everything I could ever want is right here. <laughs> and she was, you know, she was what, like 16 years old when she said that. Right. Um, and the truth is, uh, you, you, my job as a youth pastor, I believe part of my job was to create citizens of the world. Like these, these students would become aware of the globe would become aware of the fact that life does not exist inside this bubble. Life exists. Um, there's so many other cultures and so many other, um, experiences and places around the world and all of that. And I just felt like that was part of my job was so, so I would say, um, to a, to kind of an average listener, who's not a missions pastor, maybe has not done missions work or whatever, um, getting connected to what's happening around the world is one of the ways you become a citizen of this world, mm -hmm. uh, of, of the global, uh, because there is no them. There's only us. We are, we are, we are there. There's only one race. That's the human race. Uh, I don't want to get all controversial here, but, um, <laughs> there is only one race and that's the human race. And I, and I really believe that. And I believe we are, um, we are called to one another. And, um, I, I think that any, anyone can engage hmm. 
um, with what's going on around the world. And it will be good for you. It will be good for you to be connected to something that is uh, beyond what's normal and what's status quo and what's every day for you. It's really good. By the way, that, that girl, that 16 year old girl in Wheaton is the national, uh, is the, is the country. She and her husband are the country directors for Josiah venture Ukraine. And she's lived, <laughs> she's lived over there for the last, I don't know, like 13 years or something like that. 10 years. I can't remember exactly how long they've been there. And she's an unbelievable, uh, incarnational kind of missionary she's unreal um mm. she and her husband and their kids and they they left when the war started and now they're back they're living there they're raising their two children right in the middle of ukraine in the middle of the war because that's where they're needed and uh that's what happened and it that started with a mission trip she went on a mission trip she's she discovered the czech republic and she discovered what could happen um and it changed her life and she's um, she's one of the best missionaries I know. That's cool. Well, you guys, there's uh, always more that could be talked about and unearthed in a conversation like this. Uh, but James, thanks so much for being a part of this. Thanks for your contribution, these thoughts. Thanks for what you're doing with One Child and certainly global kingdom aspects. And it's always a joy to have an excuse to hang out with you and chat with you and um I would highly recommend, in fact, I can, I can speak from personal experience. Our daughter is a one child sponsor, um, to young, not a sponsored child, I want not to a sponsored. Don't want to but if she had that option, could she, cause she's approaching college. She just got braces, so, yeah. 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 Uh, no, uh, a young gal named Carol, I believe her name is over in Jordan and it's been a really yeah. cool experience for, for our daughter, Olivia. So, uh, awesome. onechild.org is the website and, um, huge, huge fans of what you guys are doing. The way that you go about it definitely is very unique um, in general and including in the world of child sponsorships. So it's fun being able to get to partner with you guys as well and uh, uh, excited, excited to see what God has for us in the future. So thanks again, man, for being a part of this. Yeah, thank you. I I love anytime we get to do stuff together. And so this has been really cool for me as well. And uh, I like that One Child and Uncharted are figuring out more ways to be doing stuff together. So it's really good. Agreed. In this episode, you heard us talk a little bit about Outpost. Outpost is a network for missions leaders in local churches who are unified by the desire to see people in their church move beyond the status quo and join God's global mission. James, Ben, and I were able to spend some time at Outpost West in San Diego with a group of local missions leaders talking about the unique challenges that come with representing international work in a local church context. We heard from experts in the field, we shared stories, and we just had a fun time being together. So if you're interested in attending an Outpost gathering and hosting your own Outpost breakout, or you just want to learn more, head to outpostnetwork.org.